Growth happens in the challenging and messy parts of life. I never want to stop learning and growing uh, to, to be stretched as a person. Gosh, I believe we grow best in relationship with others, and it's important to never lose sight of the human sitting in front of me. You know, my hope is to always have the hard conversations well. And we need to do a better job of holding space for each other. Asking the difficult questions is important, but I want to do it in a way that has genuine humility and curiosity. One of my favorite phrases is the staying power. And at the end of the day, I want to know that I did that. We need more nuanced dialogue to keep learning. And a part of that is we really need to get better at listening. We are two unique female professionals and friends that have come together to have meaningful conversations and a little fun along the way. Welcome to the Arable Podcast, where curious minds grow. I'm your host, Jenna Mountain. And I'm your other host, Kimberly Galindo. Okay. We want to have conversation. It, part of what we do on this podcast is, is create space for voice and humanity and conversations and to try to deepen the dialogue. And some of that is us just paying attention. I think you and I, paying attention to ourselves, what's coming up for us. Mm-hmm. Um, not because we're the standard or the measuring stick, um, but I do think there's some just shared human experiences. And you and I, one of the things that we wanted to talk about and try to add texture feels like a very four thing to say add texture (laughs) (laughs) to the conversation is this idea of exhaustion yeah you and I've been talking about that a lot yeah I think a conversation that very normal I think for a lot of people specifically people of our stage in life um yeah business owners parents parents little children of small children, um, women, working moms, entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. career mothers. It's not like exhaustion, some new phenomenon that's suddenly surfacing. But, but it um, does kind of feel like a new phenomenon right now. But I think it's morphing and it's shifting. Well, I think there's a communal exhaustion. Like when I think about being a parent who's exhausted and I have a great partner in crime. My husband, again, we will refer to him as the saint on this show. (laughs) Um, But when I think about him and I, it's like, we're not, we're not always exhausted at the same time. There has been seasons like that. We almost like get to like, I think of like professional wrestling when they're like doing the team (laughs) and it's like tag you're in. I've been out. I've been taking a break from the arena. Yeah. Like we're not all exhausted at the same time. I think moving into this new year, 2020, man, I think we have a communal level exhaustion that is, I mean, unlike anything we've ever seen in our lifetime before. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think you name an area of the human experience and it's there. I think it's there physiologically because <clears throat> that's where we carry it and carry it in our nervous system. Yeah. Our neurobiology is going to hold on to that. I think our relationships are holding on to that. I think... I think emotionally, 
emotionally we're holding on to it um i think emotionally the exhaustion being such a forward felt experience is probably making it hard for us to access the other emotions mm-hmm. i would say yeah no for sure i think about cognitively yeah and it's it's more than just sleep hygiene i think sometimes just defining what we're talking about yeah, here like I think sometimes people are like well you know maybe sleep in for a couple of days or first of all that's not how ketchup works yeah or <laughs> <laughs> like Get in most cases, all the sleep hygiene things, which I'm, I'm pro. Don't mishear me. I'm, I'm pro. But I've had extra sleep for an extended amount of time during the pandemic in 2020, and I was still exhausted. There was no amount of sleep that could have helped me catch up. So that is where it's shifting and changing and nuance in a way that I think is it's a personal and I think collective collision of just tired at a deep level that is more than just I didn't sleep enough last week because of a big project mm-hmm. um, as we enter into this conversation I'm thinking about uh, a book an oldie but a goodie hmm. that I believe both of both you and I had to read back in grad school which was thrilled to death do you remember that book? yeah oh such a good book yeah by Archibald Hart um, such a I just really enjoy him, his writing. Um, he actually also wrote a book about family sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, he's he, he's really a psychologist, I believe. I hope I don't get that wrong. Um, and very much so paid attention to the physiological component of mental health and yeah. like a lot of his writing. I remember him talking about anhedonia, this idea of like incapable of experiencing pleasure and, you know, kind of differentiated it from like apathy and burnout. Yeah. Um, and I do think we're going to have to like talk about this at several angles, but I'll start with his, like you just talked about the pleasure center in the brain. Um, and this was had nothing to do with pandemic. I mean, this is, this is really an older text, an older book, yeah. but talking about like, if it gets pinged too much, it just stops responding and it will move you into, and again, he, he differentiates anhedonia from some of those other terms, but like that state where the body stops responding to pleasure, you stop feeling happiness, you stop feeling the rewards, which is very dull. It's a very dull experience. It can move into burnout, I, I would think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very concerning as a human experience where I cannot come up for air, which feels like the happiness, the rest, right? Yeah. Um, because the body says you have not rested. This is essentially where he goes. You have not rested. And so I will shut you down into rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and other, I mean, this is, this is not an uncommon topic. We'll talk about like your immune system will start to shut you down. <laughs> Your body will start to shut you down if you don't slow down and attend to yourself. So this idea of anhedonia, burnout, too much stress for too long, I feel like that has been 2020 for almost everybody. Yeah. And it's not it's not sustainable. And I think the other factor is it's not really a choice. Right? No, nobody chose this. And nobody can really choose to walk out of it, regardless of how you feel about the pandemic, whatever your philosophy and belief is. You are still being impacted regardless of what your choice would be. Um, and so you're, you're, you're still being impacted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and what we know of just sustained stress, crisis, with very little choice. What it does to the nervous system. It is wrecking our nervous system. So we're, our charts work is so good. I think where it could be, you know, we could reevaluate. Am I in the right job? You know, is our family rhythm? Okay. I think we can look at those things, and I think they're good things to look at. I think in a lot of ways, I know for myself, over the course of 2020, I would keep reevaluating, keep reevaluating, and it didn't. There was no solution. Give a solution mm-hmm. to the exhaustion. No. So like, okay, yeah, I mean, again, it's all good stuff. Let me check in with my sleep hygiene. Okay, yeah, sure, I'll improve that. I'll, I'll less screen time before bed, um, making sure I have a rhythm, you know, that kind of thing. Um, still didn't take care of the exhaustion. And so that's where, and then I was hearing that from just about everyone in my life, right? Yeah, clients, friends. Clients, friends, you know, other people I work with. Um, just so, so tired. Um, and I think where it matters is one, I don't, I don't want any of us to go through that. So I think that just that alone matters, it's not healthy. but I think it's been destructive to a lot of areas of our life, um, Absolutely. decision-making relationships. I know we've seen a lot of it in how folks are leading and in business strategy. Physiologically. And, yeah. Just health. And, yeah. If we, if we were to take like the, um, the biopsychosocial spiritual approach that we do in our clinical work and start to apply to this conversation. Let's roll through each of them. Yeah. So because we already started there a little bit, let's, let's talk about the physiological impact. Um, anybody that has a stress, anybody who has a, a health condition that is exacerbated by stress, has been subject to challenges, mm-hmm. increased challenges. Like if you're, if, if, if you maintain health, whether by like some chronic illness or like you're just, pro, you're, you're a proactive, you know, healthy person. And part of that is to reduce stress. This has been a prolonged and major hurdle. Yeah. Uh, adrenal fatigue. Oh gosh. Yeah. For people who have known it and like have worked to get out of it, which that's very hard. Like once you've had it, it's very, it's like a lifelong maintenance of staying out of it because of what your body has rebounded from in it. Um, but yeah, the adrenal fatigue for some people who've never had that before. Cortisol yeah. levels. And even for people who have, you know, here they are, they got out of adrenal fatigue. They're in a good maintenance Recovered. plan. No choice. The stressful context shows up. Ugh, my body's just, you know, um, and starts to shut down. Like yeah, I've, I've seen that in friends, family, clients, colleagues talking about like this is how it's affecting my body, and that vicious cycle circumstance of we know stress impacts health and immunity. We all need really good immunity because you know there's this unknown virus that's going around and we need to be as healthy as we can be, but that's really stressful. So then that's impacting our immunity. So it's just this. Or for the sake of balancing the dialogue, you, you are stressed out by the fact that you don't think this virus is this worthy of 
impacting the economy, your lifestyle, whatever. And you feel violated and imposed upon Mm -hmm. by the leaders who do choose to put structure in the place and, you know, whatever, or the people who are living like that. And it is, it's impact. It really doesn't matter which side of the dialogue you're on. Totally. Yeah. This, the, the triggers and the stress um, that comes from that, it's, it's really on both sides. And I actually think that that's a little bit, if we kind of moved into the social, which I'm skipping one, that actually, I think is a little bit lost on people that it is our relationships and our differences being so poorly handled right now that actually is a massive contributor to the stress. Yeah. That it is people on both sides of this conversation, should I say argument, as we, you know, have left 2020, but um, not really returned to the It has not left us. not left us. That the stress was for, and I actually hope that both sides feel validated by us acknowledging that. It's not really about, like, what we believe. It is about, like, that has been stressful for both sides. Mm-hmm. And what are we going to do with that stress buildup that has lasted us almost a year? Yeah. 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 So if we stay in, in, the, in the body, I, I think no matter where you are, no matter how you've experienced it, no matter what, I mean, you're holding something somewhere physiologically. And it may be in your adrenals. It may be in your immunity, um, which as we have the conversation, you know, it's all connected. It's not compartments, right? Um, that no, I, we're contextual. We're, we're so contextual. Um, and I think one affects the other. And you think about our physical response. It is a response to something that we're seeing and where we stand on the issue. And then, you know, we have a psychological response to that. So, well, and I... I don't think we can change the circumstances. I do think we can do a better job of attending to those things on a regular basis. Uh, I'll go ahead and we'll put a link in the show notes, but Brene Brown last fall did a really great job with the Negroski sisters Mm -hmm. capturing about 45 minutes to an hour. Just, just kind of a, I don't care if it's rough. Someone who is an expert in emotions, like therapists or not, like just a good reminder, like here's how emotions work and here's how to like, move through them and, um, and complete, you know, the emotional experience. Um, and, uh, Emily and Amelia Nagroski, um, or Nagoski, excuse me, uh, wrote the book burnout, the secret to unlocking the stress cycle. I think everybody should be reading that right now. Yeah, for sure. Coming off of 2020, I, we've got to start telling our bodies, that we're okay, even if it's just that hour of the day. I'm okay right now. Like coming back down off of that and helping that nervous system to resettle again. Um, trying to clue into how to use that. We've talked about this on other shows, using the vagus nerve, mm-hmm. um, which helps us um, get into the parasympathetic nervous system and calm down. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I get it because I think though I am a big proponent to um, that work, I think in a season of exhaustion when it's like, oh, Nobody I, so now I, and I have a stress cycle and I'm supposed to close it out um, according to um, the book that you just mentioned and believe that we should and we're better for it. So, And I'm also thinking 
I have to make another decision. How am I going to close out my stress cycle? What am I going to do? You know, um, I think having, because it takes intentionality and having to be intentional. And And I think where it's like, oh God. (laughs) One of the things you're saying that has validity too. I mean, we, you and I participate in a wonderful leadership development program. We talk about this as leaders outside of a pandemic experience. Um, I would say this is true about uh, mental health professionals in general. Like we have to remember to um, do the things that we know. Yeah. Because we don't always. So like I appreciate, I am not so prideful that I would not admit that that felt really profound for me when I listened to it last fall that like, Oh, I mean, this is just the basics of emotions and body work. But like, ah, thank you. Like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not doing this here any better than anybody else. Like, and nobody, nobody can make that claim. Nobody can make that claim. Mm-mm. Yeah, and I know you and I have talked about um, what an unusual context to be in, um, where we're collectively going through the same thing. Our teams are, our clients are, and so we're right there with you. Um, I mean, always leaders, mental health providers, we need to be doing the things that we invite and ask and request that other people do. Um, but I think there's the collective reality of that is so, oh my gosh, that we're all just in this space together. It's, it's creating its own and I know we'll get to this more into the social in a minute, but like it's creating its own psychology of like social. It feels like one big social experiment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're all bouncing and pinging off of each other. Let's, and- let's go there because I think that um, when you say we're in this collective experience, which is technically true, but I think a lot of people feel very alone. And I don't think that's just because we're not gathering. Yeah. In person, I think that's I think that might be the smallest piece, in my opinion. Uh, that might be showing my cards a bit, but I I don't feel like we feel together as a society and as a community. I think that's been the saddest part, and I and I still think this absolutely is a result of exhaustion. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you ever think about like, well, what are the little tips and tricks for like when to have a hard conversation? Mm-hmm. That's what to do it when you're tired. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, looks like we'll have that in about five years. Or okay. angry. Whatever. Right. Or hungry. Yeah. What is it? Halt? Yeah. Hungry. Angry. Is it lonely and tired? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Lonely? I don't know. But it's like, yeah, you're not supposed to be tired. You're not supposed to do it. And I feel like we have nothing but back-to-back hard conversations in insatiable fatigue. Yeah. As we come out of 2020. Yeah. And it's an inescapable reality for all of us, but we're all very, to your point, siphoned off, isolated. Some of that's cultural, you know, we're just more of an individual. We're going to kind of use Western. um, Individualistic society. Yeah. Kind of our Western United States. Mm-hmm. of America, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do it yourself. I don't have any more bootstraps. I'm just being real honest. Yeah, mentality. We've all kind of just separate, we're in separate spaces. Um, trying to do this thing that's all, it's happening to all of us at the same time. Even if we have different perspectives and vantage points, as we will, because it's that's the human experience. Um, 
I think it's led to, I think exhaustion does that. I think our individualistic culture does that. I think just some of the divisive nature and exhaustion that shows up. I mean, I think that shows up even before a pandemic. You know, when we're so, so tired, it's just like, fine, I'll separate from you. You separate from me. It'll be better that way. I mean, yeah. couples, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of a conflict style right there. You go there, I'll go here. We'll just do it our separate ways, which is not reality in a pandemic. Yeah. Whatever your choice is, there's no like independent silo and vacuum that you get to participate in your personal choice in. Right. That's, that is, yeah, I think it was uh, Pantsuit Politics. They did a really good job some point last year. And I, I actually tried at one point to find the episode to share with somebody else, but they were talking about like boundaries in a pandemic do not work the same way. And I actually paused for a second because I was like, well, hold on. I've read all the boundaries books. <laughs> I think the principles <laughs> last the test of time. So I don't know on like that deep philosophical level, if I agree with the statement, I think on an experiential level, I completely agree with the statement because I don't think any of us who've had to like really experience the fullness of our boundary setting, boundary receiving experience like a pandemic has created meaning I don't think we have ever had to fight to draw those boundary lines mm -hmm. in the same way and I don't think we've ever had to face the consequences of our boundary lines which means I may lose something by making this decision or I may lose something by you making that decision like but all of those behaviors and choices had consequences and I don't think we've ever had to face the consequences of the boundaries like we had to in 2020. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think, um, gosh, and I think that that is true in a lot of contexts, but specifically in a pandemic. Cause I mean, there were just, there were decisions that had to be made. We're all going to form opinions. Um, we're all going to have feelings. And I think some of the psychological, social, effects are I think and I know I've probably had the similar thought pattern was is there an option that doesn't have as much of a cost or a cost at all you know where I can make that decision and it doesn't affect someone else and then you get into this loop where you're like it, no it can't like I and by have an impact or a consequence it doesn't mean every one of them were grave and huge but well they were significant well you're right you get into this loop you realize all of them have consequences and then you know you and I serve in leadership in a couple of different circles and there are times when we found ourselves asserting that and felt the consequences of that and I I, I, I could tell you today I still don't regret those decisions um, and then there were times when we chose to fold, if I'm being honest and mm -hmm. vulnerable in my leadership, like we chose to fold to not what we would have chosen, but looked at the landscape of the consequences and said, okay. And then if I'm being honest and I, I'm really not trying to get too political because I want to hold space for everybody, but then you have like articles that come out that talk about all the lack of leadership in the folding. And you're like, oh, I just did that. Mm -hmm. And and I just, I, I 
I'm just sitting here going like there was no, there were so many times where there was like no good, clear, right answer. Yeah. According to how we measure right answers as a culture, like it just, all the, all of the rules shifted in the pandemic. Yeah. And I think what you're touching on there, yeah, is what, what it revealed, what a pandemic reveals about us as individuals and as a people, um, in our stress responses, you know, that exhaustion has a cost and we're going to, we're talking through all that. Um, and some of it is, yeah, I, it is in our decision-making and, um, I think the idea that we're not as siphoned off as we'd like to believe, like I can just kind of live my life, do my thing, and it's not going to affect anyone. And- uh, you do you, and this is not a slam to one of my favorite authors that released a book in the recent history. I don't like that statement. Pandemic has ruined the statement, you do you, for me. Yeah, because I think you, you can, and people around you will will feel that. Um, and there will be some that will agree with you and enjoy that and appreciate that. And then there'll be some that do not. And though a little bit of that is, that is life and reality. Um, can't make everybody happy. I don't think it's about making everybody happy. That, that really doesn't, that is a, that is, I actually think, I'm glad we're going here. I actually think that that's what everybody thinks it's about. Mm-hmm. It's about like, well, you can't make everybody happy or I'm trying to make everybody happy. There are actual consequences in a pandemic to these decisions that have nothing to do with feelings. Right. Yeah. And I think, I mean, meaning about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, basic food, shelter, safety, um, health, those sorts of things, baseline. Yeah. Those are the things we're making decisions about. People are are literally making decisions that will affect their employment, which is... Uh basic shelter and provision for themselves and their families uh, making decisions about uh, like being con- truly concerned that you know if you're one of the individuals walking around with a high risk category and feel like COVID is a very real and scary thing like you are making a decision about health safety right like being able to survive it yeah. not firing off some new version of your autoimmune issues by getting it I mean it's the safety thing. Yeah. And so I think that the stakes are higher. Holding with that, for some people, they're in a different place on that hierarchy of needs. So safety concerns maybe aren't there. Shelter, jobs, all, some of that felt a little more secure for them. And so it is It is more social. It is more relational. But right. that is still producing fear. And we all know what we do in our bodies and relationships when there's fear with like disconnection or my people or you uh-huh. know being able to be in community um which I still think is a high state you know I think it has value to it it's not as high as you know is there a roof over my head and am I going to be well and alive and healthy and, and all those things but um so I think that the cost and the consequence. Yeah, it's not just like someone's like, oh, I'm just not real pleased with that decision that you made. Mm-mm. It's a threat to something in their life, no matter where you are on that hierarchy of needs. Well, and you're you're not saying it, but you're saying it. The um, let's just agree to disagree. This is it didn't work in 2020. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's uh, 
you can do that when we're talking about, I, I don't know, like things that do not impact health and safety. Yeah. And basic needs. 2020 made our boundary making decisions and our relationship navigation impact the very foundational parts of that hierarchy. And so you do you, or let's just agree to disagree. I mean, we have been, you talk about privilege, which that a lot of that got exposed in 2020. Like it is a privilege to be able to make decisions like that. Yeah. That is not what 2020 felt like. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, And I think there's, you know, about the social impacts, you know, you and I remained probably overly aware as we are in the field that we're in of the relational social context. Um, but I know a lot of folks who aren't um, would say that too. I think there's a cost to being exhausted and unaware. And I think I've seen a lot of that where it's like, oh, they're exhausted. They literally don't have the energy to be more engaged, plugged in, be yeah. a good listener. What do you do with that? When the person in front of you, they're not participating in the way that you and the rest of the community need. And you realize yeah. they have hit their limit. Yeah. And have all of the empathy and compassion and validation for it. And yet there's a relational need or there's a social need or there's 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 something that I you know, maybe need from them or want from them. And I'm thinking like on a practical level, like can you show up to – I, I guess I'm thinking on leadership levels. Like, are you able to show up and lead the way you need to? Yeah. Yeah. Or execute your part of the job. Yeah. Or be a part of the team. Mm-hmm. Are you able to do that? And, and I, I mean, you and I have had experiences um, where we've looked and gone, I, like, I feel like I'm experiencing this person, like, almost glazed over. They're just gone. They're not even in the conversation anymore. Yeah. And then, you know, what to do with that from a – you know, business leadership standpoint, um, but then also person to person, because you and I hold a high value for not losing the person in front of us. But when they have lost us, and I'm, I get it. They're tired. They're exhausted. But there's still something that has to be done. Um, you know, you and I have always had a really high value um, around. Like, I, I'm, t- I'm talking about our group practice. Like when things feel off, mm-hmm. we take and invest the time to sidebar. Like we will say. Hey, so and so, pick up the phone, call them. We need to have a conversation. We value. Um, I love Brene's language, for, Brene Brown's language for for it. I feel like we've we practiced it a little bit before. I, I read her book, but just this idea of like we rumble with vulnerability. Mm-hmm. We do that. We will sidebar. We will go do the hard thing, and we've been better for it as leaders. And so, we did that pretty good at the beginning of the pandemic mm-hmm. and at the end of the pandemic I remember as leaders continuing to having to face really hard conversations and we work with the most incredible team we're not throwing anybody under the bus mm-hmm. but I just in vulnerability we got to the end of the year and we were having circumstances in the fall that required hard conversations and I remember you and I walking away from those meetings as the leader of this team going that did not go well and we, we like need to do the thing we always do, 
which is like sidebar. And you and I were genuinely looking at each other going, we know that's the right thing to do, but there is a part of us that is questioning if that is the loving thing to do, because I am not sure that they have the energy to have that hard conversation right now. And that, yeah. that is not, it was not in no way a reflection of them. It was like this compassionate, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, if we ask them to talk about one more hard thing, like that's not the loving thing at this point, but like we always do the hard conversations. Like we have never since launching our business shied away from it. And there were moments where like, I don't know. Yeah. We really had those moments in 2020. Yeah. And what you're bringing up is, you know, how much exhaustion in an intense context like a pandemic pushes on how do we execute what we value? Like we have high core values in, in every arena that we lead, but specifically our private practice and, you know, do the hard things, have the hard conversation, circle back, let's rumble, let's be we always valued those. Kind, compassionate, and even just awkward when we have to be to borrow from Brene Brown's words a little bit there. Um but this went beyond that. Can we execute that thing that we value? And it, you know, it's not in just workspaces. I think I, I see it um in familial relationships in marriage um can i have this conversation about this value can we execute this value with our kids i mean i i saw it with my my oldest specifically you know just like okay we value this you know structure boundary process with our kid i don't think she has capacity to learn this lesson right now but the lesson still needs to be learned that's a value that we hold She's exhausted in her little tiny experience at five, and so are we, but what do we do with that? Well, <laughs> yeah. and I can think of like, I can think of moments where it showed up, like, like I started with, with our team. I can think of moments where it's shown up with my children. Mm-hmm. I, think, I can think of moments when it showed up between me and my spouse. Mm-hmm. I can think of moments when, um, actually the only moment I can't name is between you and I. I'm like looking, I'm like looking through 2020 to see if like, you and I ever had to shy away from a hard conversation. I don't think we did. Mm-mm. Okay, gold stars for us. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think were... we had them. I think we probably just had to choose timing sometimes. You know, uh-huh. like hey, maybe we carve out time tomorrow. You know, it's it's the end of the day. You know, kind yeah. Of thing. Uh, I think you and I were pretty united across 2020. Yeah, probably. We really were. I, I don't. I mean, we've had our different. So I don't know if I trust myself. <laughs> I'm exhausted. Oh, it's not like, did we? I don't know. I think you and I were pretty united. I, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for that. I would like to note that because I, I think that's important, even if it's just for me and you. But um, there, I, I, across almost all of those realms, I can think of moments where I was like, the aspirational thing is I'm going to lean in and we're going to do this. Even if it is scheduling later to have this conversation. Sure. This is 2020 is the first year or in my, in my compassion for the human in front of me, I considered not having the hard conversation because everybody was so exhausted. And I looked at the human in front of me and go, I, I like it's, it's just so out of character for me, but I, I saw the fatigue and exhaustion and went, 
is it the better thing to have this hard conversation and ask them to find that energy? Because yeah. I, I what is shared is like, I know it's hard to recharge. Mm-hmm. It has been hard to recharge in 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know. How, how do we do that? Like I, it was the first year, this is first time in my life. I and mean, some of that's my Enneagram eight and like, I'm like, maybe let's not. Like, it's the first time I've been tempted to not. And I'm not necessarily claiming that's right. I'm just saying the context has been so different. Mm -hmm. And yet, I know that part of the systemic struggle was people going, I don't want to have a hard conversation. No, I'm not going to do it. And I think I'd like to believe that you and I were different. (laughs) And it wasn't avoidance. It was compassion. Um, You and I had several moments over the course of last year where we talked about people are losing sight of doing the difficult conversations well. And it was like grieving us. Mm-hmm. Like they won't even try to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. They're not trying at all. Mm-hmm. I, I just like people just gave up. Yeah. What's the, what's the quote? Is it Banks, Banksy, Banksy? I can't ever say that name right. The artist, the graffiti artist out of the UK. Yeah. Where it says, learn to rest, not to quit. Yeah, absolutely. Such a good quote. I know. Yeah, and we don't do that as a society, in my opinion, ever. But gosh, in a pandemic. Oh, 2020, we had a lot of quitting. There was a lot of quitting. (laughs) Shrouded in a lot of things. Nobility. Oh, yeah. Pride. Wait a minute. You mean people were not... People were fraudulent about quitting. Yeah. <laughs> it was like I really the the what was happening was I quit. I cannot, which trust me, friends, I understand. I understand. I understand. And I probably uttered those words more than I should have. Um, but then when we lie about it, I think that's and we're all liars, so this is not some sort of pointing of fingers here. Yeah. When we quit and we say it's something else, like it's nobility. It's it's a noble thing to do, or it's oh, let's yeah, well, let's <laughs> let's try on the flavors of nobility that we saw. There was the patriotic. I'm just being patriotic, but it was an I quit. It was uh, I'm just having boundaries, but I'm really quitting. Right. Oh, that was like that was probably the one that crawled under my skin the most. Yeah. I'm just being boundaries. No, you're a quitter. <laughs> That's what's happening in my head. You have left the trying. Like <laughs> you quit. And I'm aware. <laughs> what are some of the other ones? Um, those are just the top of most for me. The, oh, the, how about, I don't know. Is it a martyr? Like the quit, but it's, it, it was afraid of as I can't. I was like, no, you can't. Yeah, I'm not capable. I'm not capable. I can't handle it anymore. But I was like, no, you can. Or a false sense of, it's like nobility and a false sense of like, no, I'm just owning that that's not my job to do. You know? Oh, you do you? That's the you do you. You know, like that's for you to do. It's either not my job or my place or, and it's, it's similar to the boundaries piece, but it's like, gosh, that one got really tricky, I think. Um, and I, and I kind of, I wish, and I think my hope and my prayer is for 2021 that we, we could just be a little more honest to say, I want to quit. 
And I want to say that it's about nobility and boundaries, but it's not. I'm exhausted. And just say that hard thing um, and just challenge ourselves and others to just rest. Say, okay, like, what do I need to do to rest? You know, you and I do this all the time with our clients because um, in the trauma world and reality in the sex therapy world is that that work is often uh, takes longer than anybody wants it to. And anybody thinks that it'll take when they first sign up for the process. Um, and I can't, I, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many clients I've sat in front of and said, Hey, like I, I hear you have therapy fatigue. I, th- I hear mm-hmm. you have healing process fatigue. That's sure. real. And, and we sit and we validate that. And we talk about how to rest in a way that doesn't go backwards and gives them a break mm-hmm. so that they can come back and keep going. Right. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I really saw much of that at all in 2020. Mm-mm. No, no, I didn't, at least in my personal and professional experience with other human beings and um, my very far view, but just collectively as a culture in a country. Um, and I think that's where, I mean, it reveals the cracks in some of the cultural dynamics, I think, that exist. Because I think um, in order to rest well, we need each other, you know? like yeah, I think- who was it that talked about communal, uh, it wasn't just self-care, it's community care. That may have been on Brene Brown and when she did that that podcast with Emily and Amelia but I think some other people have been talking about too it's like not just self-care it's like community care yeah I think to be able to tell someone I need to rest and you know I think um, a lot of a lot of our worlds and at least in the beginning of 2020 you know they shrunk and so your community shrinks but um I think about as we respond to the disaster that it was in a lot of ways, specifically with exhaustion, the, the, the need to look at your spouse and say, I need to rest. Can I tag you out? Or ta- can you tag me out? You know, to look at your business partner, to look at your teams and just be able to um, offer that to one another, ask for what we need, <laughs> like that communal Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, again, it, it's revealing all kinds of cracks as we've responded in our exhaustion and as we've responded to exhaustion that we we don't do collective, communal, support, love, care. Mm-mm. And then what we think that has to be, we go, well, we can't do that because I don't agree with you. So I can't understand I you. I can't care for you care for and you serve you. I disagree with you. Mm-hmm. And I think... Oh gosh, no, no, no. They're friends. Let's be able to be a people that can look at each other and say, you are exhausted and asking for rest. And it doesn't matter if I agree with you on this issue or that. your experience. I care about your experience. And so mm-hmm. let me take over that work project for you or let me take the kids or, or let me do something that no, philosophically, I'm not in that place on that issue or that topic, but I will do that thing, not because I believe it, but because 
you believe it and that would help you gain some margin. Yes, I'll do that. Yeah. And I think we just don't know how to sit in that kind of complexity. Um, I think far too often we surround ourselves with relationships where we all agree and all on the same page, but they think what the pandemic revealed was even with those people that we had built community with, we realized how divided we were. Then we're all exhausted. Then we all can't ask for what we need. And layers of grief and loss. So layers of grief and loss and all that. And and then just the exhaustion got compounded. You know, where I think it would exist, I think it revealed some relational, social cracks that it re- made it worse. It revealed some relational and social immaturity. Mm-hmm. And I might be getting a little spicy over here, but I I think it revealed immaturity that it almost got to this place where, and I I made the argument for years. I wish we could have like a systems therapist managing some of this. Yeah. But it got to this place where it was like, oh, I can't let you have a voice because I, I have, I mean, behaviorally, what I saw in the world was people could not let the other differing opinion have a voice because then that must have meant they lost theirs Mm -hmm. and i was like no that is not how compromise works right compromise give and take in fact only exists when both people have been able to have a voice felt heard and then decisions are made right like when i do marriage therapy that's how we do it Mm mm-hmm there's really no such thing as compromise until both people have had a voice, a sense of agency and personhood, felt heard and held in their experience by the other person, and then we make that decision. Right. We couldn't even get past step one. Yeah. In like some really mature circles. Like I personally observed it. Some really mature circles. Yeah. And I thought, oh, dang. Yeah. For all the things that the pandemic has revealed, let's add number 4,557. Yeah, totally. Social and relational immaturity on a grand scale. Mm-hmm. And it grieved me. Yeah. Because then everybody started hiding or fighting. It was so divisive. Because, I mean, you're taking away something that is so dear to us as a, as a human experience, which is to have a voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think voice, the ability to to use um, you know the completing the, the stress cycle which we talked about earlier and all of that. Um, you know, some of those things are having a voice and being in relationship and doing connection, and you know, we just have been so blocked from that experience um, because of some cracks in how we do social life together. And that we've been privileged as a general whole where we didn't have to, like it's a privilege to not have to have hard conversations like that before a pandemic. I'm going to say that. That has been a privilege in our society because I don't think other countries have had that privilege. They have to have hard conversations and make hard choices all the time that impact each other. Yeah. I think it's been a privilege that has bit us in the butt. Yeah. That we have not had to learn that skill before now. Mm-hmm. 
And I think what's going to hold it in place is if we don't figure it out, you know, we don't figure out how to, to do that better. And I think that's probably my own fears and concerns for um, the world around me is let this exhaustion call us to doing something um, differently. And I don't always know if people are wanting and willing to do that. Well, it goes back to the quote, right now everybody's really struggling not to quit and to just rest. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And just take a time out. Go take a nap. No, it's not just about that. But like really rest and yeah. That's the charge. Figure out how to rest and not quit. You and I have talked about this a handful of times as we started to get to the end of 2020 and, and then enter into 2021 um there is a as a trauma-informed mental health professional also it's a sex therapy training just really has tuned us into how the body works mm-hmm. and how relationships work how the mind works um, and there are people who by far could smoke us on some of that stuff but we know enough <laughs> to to contribute to this conversation you and i have both expressed a real fear for what's going to happen when the crash comes yeah oh gosh i know the physiological mental crash when the pandemic is really over whatever that looks like because it lasted far longer than any of us ever wanted and it's been like we just know like you prolong stress over time we can look at so many different pockets of things um what's gonna happen when it really is over and our bodies mm-hmm. know that it's over for the first time yeah and there's like crash that happens i know that's actually not gonna feel like relief mm like it's probably like maybe there'll be a moment of that, but there's going to sure. be like the coming down off of the stress where the body demands recovery mm-hmm. that is going to be, and it's like the collective whole to some degree is going to go through it. Yeah. Cause it's one thing when you know that's coming for yourself, you know, there's a big moment in your life. I mean, we've both been through <clears throat> grad school and, like falling on the finish line of things. Yeah. <laughs> Starting businesses and having babies and, you know, all the kinds of things that you just, there's a crash. But there's something about knowing I'm going through this. My friends are not. So I can kind of do this thing, call for help and do this thing in community and reach out. And But there's something really scary about, like the whole world collective crash. I mean, this nation. sounds very dark and dramatic, but like this being very moody and forward. I think I brought it up though. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm being intense and eight. <laughs> like the whole world's gonna crash at the same time. It's gonna burn. <laughs> I we're, we're laughing because levity is important to us. I I am concerned. Yeah, no, I am, and I think I, everyone in our in our field and and adjacent fields yeah, have said, the, "Yeah, what are we gonna start seeing when we are when we're done? When we're done?" And I, you know, this it's not like a we are done. It's a when we're done. 
Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, the the chatter in the mental health circles has been present. What's it going to do? I, I mean, you just name an area, you know, on mental health, bodily health, relational health, um, social health. You know, just the cost of the crash um, that I don't think we can prevent. Mm-mm. I don't think we can predict exactly mm-hmm. when and how and what. And I think there'll be waves of it because there'll be a unique human experience. There'll be like a general time span that I think it hits us collectively, but there are going to like different humans are going to be in different waves of it. That, that's my hypothesis. <laughs> and how do we? How do we how do we do that? You know, um, and I think it's some of it is all we can do for now is be aware that it's very likely impossible, and so and not to live in our the fears. Don't go don't go limbic. Don't go into your limbic system and the fear centers of your brain, and and start bracing for something that we can't control or predict. Um, I think what it's going to call us into is how to be more present. Mm-hmm. And how to be more honest and transparent with ourselves and with others. To be able to look at another human being and go, okay, so that crash thing, I'm there. I'm in it. I'm in it. Mm-hmm. I cannot articulate what I need, but I'm going to need to do something. Yeah. And to sit with other people and maybe use their brain and hopefully maybe they're not in their crash moment or they're not in it as poorly. Yeah, you're you referencing, uh, you said use their brain. I think you're referencing Kurt Thompson's work where it's like we borrow <laughs> the human brain of the other person in front of us in healing. Yeah. We're going to have to do a lot of borrowing of each other. And I think that's where I'm like, okay, people, we have a chance to do, it's very different than it was in the crisis phase, but I think in the, healing phase we, we could we could do it differently we could say I need to borrow your brain I am crashing this is new mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what to do you know in some other circumstance I would have said well here's my self-care plan here's what I do for self-care and coping and mm-hmm. recharging and you know refueling at, who knows <laughs> what that will be then um, and what we know in exhaustion, when we're physiologically, neurologically, emotionally, psychologically, relationally exhausted, is making those decisions is impossible. And so we need each other, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's going against the grain and it, and, and all the cracks that we just talked about. I think what scares me more than the crash and, well, gosh, what am I going to do about it is whose brain will I borrow? Yeah. Who will be there? Because inevitably they disagreed with me during the pandemic. So do they have the belief that they can't be with me after the pandemic? I honestly, you know? like, I, I tend to be a realist. I'm, I don't know. I, somewhere between a realist and an optimist. I really, I could be accused of being both. Um, my gut, which you and I have always had pretty good guts. I guess we'll see. My gut is going to tell me that because the actual, like we're talking when the pandemic is over. Like, like go back to life as not whatever that's going to look like. 
Um, my guess is, is in our collective community naivete that it's about the content. Mm. Right, we know this in marriage. Right. And system therapy, like couples come in, families come in, and they want to fight about the topic, and they want to be in the content, and you're watching the pattern. And if you can shift the pattern, they can handle any content. My my hope would be that we would learn how to do the pattern better. Like we would learn how to do the relationships and the, and the community and the support better. If that doesn't happen, I think there's a chance we'll be okay because the content's gone. Yeah. I actually think I actually think there's a chance that humans will get over it <laughs> and be like, well, it's not here anymore. We don't have that thing to fight about. And actually naively feel like it's okay now. That won't be true for everybody. Some people, the wounding will be so deep that, that will, they will not be able to walk out of that. I think there's going to be a large portion of of our communities and our nation that will go, well, it's fine because it's been about the, you know, you know the video. It's like, it's not about the nail. Yeah. Sure, the out of her head. Yeah. They'll look it up on YouTube. It's yeah. not about the nail. It's Holy a good couple thing. It's so funny. Yeah, but like, I think this is like, this is that thing. Like people will be like, well, it was about the nail and the nail's gone. It was never about the nail. It's about the mask. It's about the vaccine. It's about the numbers. It's about the election. It's about, and like when all that goes away, when this is all done, I think there'll be a large portion of the community that will be able to re-engage with each other, but I'm going to call it naively. Yeah. Because the, the relational dynamics never actually changed. It didn't grow in the hard thing. There will be some that are so wounded mm-hmm. that that healing, my guess, will have to happen probably in mental health offices yeah, because they won't be able to go back to those relationships. And then, and then I think there will be like a small portion of the community. And I'd like to think that I'm trying to be a part of this that actually imperfectly, very flawed, very messy, grew through it and got better at it. Mm-hmm. But I, but I know that I will only be able to be that person if I learn to rest and not quit. Yeah. That's, that, that charge and that calling is just as much on me as it is on anybody else. Mm-hmm. And I don't want that to be lost on the listener. Like, I'm very much so, like, pointing the finger at myself. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Same. So, I'll add one more thing. I think we have to learn to rest and not quit. Love the quote. We'll put it in the show notes. And I also think I've, I have said this for years as a part of my clinical work. Like I do believe you can overextend yourself for a limited amount of time, but you have, it's gotta be a limited amount of time, which this has far exceeded that. Mm-hmm. But, but the part I want to note is that I've always said, but you need a plan to recover. Mm-hmm. So I do think we need to learn to rest and not quit. And I think we all need a plan to recover. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. Let's try to leave on a semi-positive note. <laughs> like, let's talk about how, I don't know, maybe you and I, let's just, let's just talk about you and I, like, how do we plan to rest and not quit? Mm-hmm. And how do we plan to recover when we really, what it, whatever the hypothetical over is. Yeah. I don't even know how to define that right now, but like, when the over is Yeah. I think on the rest question, it's, um. 
it's learning to reconceptualize that because you know things that I would have done for rest before um, some of this hit were traveling, traveling to foreign countries, <laughs> you know, going places, um, and that has been shifted dramatically. Um, so getting outside of my context. Um, and so I think learning to um, be creative. Um, and then I think learning to not, for me, for, to not be all or nothing, you know, just yeah. or have to figure it out, even if that makes sense. So like I kind of plan vacation you, because you'd have to. Like, you have to plan travel and vacations and things like that. But I think even if it were just I'm going to give myself space to take these days away off. Mm-hmm. And I have an ideal for what I'd really like that to be. It can't be that. So the argument could be that I won't do that at all. But learning to find learning to find what I can, you know. Um, I think on micro macro levels for myself, it's it's conceptualizing rest in daily ways. That and again, it's not that I'm now taking four one hour breaks a day, you know, it's, it's learning to close the stress cycle in your own creative way. The stress cycle. It's learning to log off of zoom and stay off of devices for an hour post my work day, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, before I go and text friends and family for personal and fun things. Cause that does bring me joy, but just that pause. I've got to be off of it for a little yeah, while. Yeah. You know, and just learning those micro ways of doing things, um, to rest. Um, I think, you know, rest for me too is talking, processing with people about this. Honestly, sometimes I feel like we're just <laughs> these robots going through our day I don't care what you do, job you have, family life you have, just going through, do the next thing, check the next box, um, but finding ways to have slow conversations where you just conjecture and talk and laugh, and mm-hmm. you know, I think that's really important. Um, yeah, I think the all or nothing comment really struck me. That's probably where I was going in my head. Um and some of it is because, like, initially in the pandemic, like, everything just got really tight and small mm-hmm. for my family to be careful. Um, where, as my questions towards the end of last year became, what can we do while, while maintaining our safety standards? So it was about, like, how much can we do? Um, and moving into... 2021 like I've looked at my husband and I said we lost things last year that like were understandable and I don't regret and I mean I just think like there were just some trips and ways that like I'm normally that person like I have to get out of the house to stop working I just and some of us I love to work and that that's a you know it's a thing I'm like I'm working through that like I will learn a lot from this pandemic experience because I I got even more in touch with that reality for myself, which is like I just have to get out of the house to get that rest and that break. And so 
like learning to fight for that more. Um, I think it's been important. So I think we're going to get creative in doing that in 2021 as we continue to watch things play out. I think that um, I have had to learn, I guess along the lines of what you're saying, like I just unplugging looks very different for me. Like what used to work for me didn't work for me anymore. And I had to like almost rethink how I did daily self-care and unplugging of my nervous system because again, what used to work, like just coming home, like I could just come home and like, that was enough. Well, when I'm home all day, it didn't work anymore. It just didn't work. And so I was like, Oh, well, dang. So yeah, I mean, I think, and of course now we're asking people to be creative in the middle of fatigue. I mean, it's just a vicious cycle, but yeah, no, I had to get creative on the daily stuff and I had to get disciplined about doing it. Because in my fatigue, I didn't want to do it. Yeah, and I think that brings up a good point. I, fight for rest, work for rest. I mean, it's work. It Whereas work. before it would be like, oh, I need to rest. I'm going to go do the things I need to do. It's like work to do it now. It's work. But what it gives you is the ability to come back into the fight, to come back into the work, to come back and do what yeah. you need to do. And so it's worth it. And and then again, it's like just, gosh, one one thing start with one thing like take a walk at the end of every day for mm-hmm. 10 minutes i mean not an hour walk Mm-mm. twice a day <laughs> you know like i think sometimes we again it's the all or nothing piece so i think just just like yep i'm going to sit at a table with no devices for 20 minutes to eat my lunch you know and that really becomes powerful in this and in what we've all just been through no, and just tiny things. Uh, let's have fun for a minute yeah. as we wrap up. Plan to recover. Write your dream list. What do you want to do? Gosh, yeah, it's such a good question. Um, I, think, I think we've forgotten how to dream. Yeah, no, we have. Like, it makes me emotional to think about it, to be honest. Um, I mean, I think traveled in there. Where would you go? Anywhere with water. Yes. I'm not even picky, y'all. Like, we're from Texas. Galveston's the closest thing. <laughs> oh, I love dirty water. Oh, <laughs> with beautiful beaches are like, oh my gosh, these poor people. This is <laughs> poor tragic. Uh, but truly, like, just anywhere with water and, like, nothing to do, just to be bored with like my God, I need a couple of those trips. Yeah. I need a couple of those trips. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would tell you, like, Galveston's on my list. Yeah. And people like dream bigger. I'm like, I don't need to. I just need like three or four of those and I need to go bob in the water. That's like, I, it just does something to my, my eight body. Like I just bob in the water and I can find a level of relaxation that is like, yeah, I totally. can't find it anywhere else. Um, but you know, I mean, if I could dream, I'd, I'd go to some East or West coast beaches too. You know, I mean, that would be, I miss Myrtle beach. I know that would you be great. So much fun going to Myrtle beach. Um, so water for sure would be, gosh, be so great to travel. Um, I'd also go see some snow. Yeah. That's what most people don't know about me. Yeah. Everybody like, what's your favorite place? Like your imaginary place. They always go to the beach. I, I, I love snow. Mm-hmm. I love snow. I love snow and big fires and log cabins. Like that is my calm, safe place. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of nature, a lot of outside, um, 
lot of time with my my family. Um, I I also, as much as I love my dear, sweet little family, a part of recovery will be some alone time, like legitimate alone time. Like you go to a hotel by yourself. Like I'm away and I'm not a wife or mom or business owner or um, with anybody. And, like, and, and the reverse of that. How about they go away and I get the house to myself for like a week? Yeah. That would also be magical. Like just some recharge and, and quiet and aloneness without other and again again we would come out of a pandemic full of isolation um but when you're, <laughs> it's not the same isolation same when it's your tiny little offspring and you know um again and I love them and we've we've done really well and it's been a really beautiful thing in some some ways in ways that we would never have had but I think just the quiet of aloneness would be such a recovery, you know, and you talk about like, we don't know when the crash is going to happen and we have to plan for recovery. I think that would be a great go-to to be present with myself and go, okay, where am I? How do I crash? Oh, yeah. What do I need to do? You know, um, go to a hotel and just give myself permissions to swim, sleep, get massages and read books. Like that's, yeah, I would love that. For sure. So I think alone time, family time. Um, time with just my husband, I think a lot of times, you know, um, even just the traditional date nights and getting away and travel and all that, like just to be adults where we're not parenting tiny humans and keeping them alive. I don't think I'll ever take date night for granted ever again. Oh, I know. And we talk about it all the time. We're just like, you know, and just I think some of the, the mental energy and that that may initiate the crash for me and, and the need for the recovery is... Even if you've gone into a restaurant, we have to think about that differently. And, you know, um, I mean, and the listeners may not know this, but like I went through the pandemic pregnant. So I was constantly worried about myself and my unborn child, baby. So we were conservative for that reason. And so I think what could initiate a crash for me is just not to have to worry about like, illness and the you know the dark places that we go as mamas and you know women for our tribes and our people you know to be able to sit in our favorite Tex-Mex restaurant and have tacos and a margarita and go I'm not worried about this Mm -hmm. for whatever reason it's gone we have better confidence in the treatment we have better confidence in the vaccine whatever whatever it is like when I, when I arrive there, when you arrive there, I know that'll be a crash. Yeah. Because both of our families had reasons to be really conservative in our experience. Like, I can see in my crystal ball that I don't really have, but I pretend I do sometimes. You have one of the most <laughs> accurate guts. <laughs> like, sitting in a Mexican restaurant. And bawling your face off. Eating tacos. <laughs> losing my ever-loving mind. Yours. <laughs> And everybody wondering, what is wrong with that lady? Because I'm going, oh my gosh, the crash is here and it's over and this is part of recovery. And it's just, it's that, that bodily psychological upset that happens. So I'm like, that is definitely a prediction that I have for myself. (laughs) Probably having more people than just you. Yeah. I think there will be, I think mine will be like a, 
I think there'll be a lot of tears, but I think there will be a lot of, I think there'll be a lot of sleeping for me. And I think it'll be appropriate. Like, I think like my body will come down into rest and sleep. I will do a lot of sleeping it off. That's why I'm like four days in a hotel with me, books, good food, and some massages. That's probably. Oh, yeah. No, you bring up um, a good point, I think, about, yes, the sleep thing. Like, like different kind of sleep. Um, yes, like restful sleep and then um, massages. Kind of that oh my gosh! Stuff like, that, I, that I have like not done regularly because it's, I'm really just not going out, you know. Yeah, um, I think all all of that kind of little spa spa kind of things, and um, and I hope that maybe switch back as leaders as we kind of wrap up. But I hope that as a leader, like all those things are true for me. But I hope that the leaders in the crash mm-hmm. do a good job of supporting their people yeah. as they make the decisions that they need to make to take care of themselves. Oh, gosh, yeah. No, that's, that's I mean, that's, uh, that's personal, too, for me. It's a personal goal that I have is yeah. that we crash well together um, and, and for each other and we you just let it be messy. And if the time, because the timings of the people's crashes are not going to be great. They're not going to be convenient. Um, that we, we just hold on to the human in front of us and we let that be something that happens as it happens and show a lot of grace and compassion as much as we're able. Yeah. So in the name of thanks, thanks I cannot say it. Thanks. Thanks. I think that's right. Yeah. Sounds right to me. I don't know. Let's rest and not quit. Yeah. When it happens, let's crash well together. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Arable Podcast is hosted by Jenna Mountain and Kimberly Galindo. And edited and co-produced by Chris Vargas and hosted on Podbean. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Visit our website, arablepodcast.com, and find Arable Podcasts on Instagram or Facebook. You can also find both of us on Facebook. You can find me, Kimberly Galindo, on Instagram at the Kimberly Galindo. And me, Jenna Mountain, on Instagram at the Jenna Mountain.